Let me invite you to turn with me to the book of James uh, for the sake of our guests who are with us again this morning. Um, we're taking time, 17 weeks in fact, to, to walk through the book of James. Uh, the book of James, reading this book, this is written by the, the brother of Jesus. Um, reading the book of James is kind of like reading through the Proverbs. There's there's uh, with staccato notes, if you will. There's just truth after truth that he's he brings to us, and sometimes it, it just comes very abruptly and but truthfully. Last week, the first thirteen verses of James chapter two, we saw James call each Christian believer to treat one another with impartiality. In other words, to treat one another on the basis of the fact that every human person is created in the image of God and therefore we, we are to treat one another impartially, not, not based on how we're dressed or external circumstances, but, but as one who is created in the image of God. And so we were called to, to impartiality last week by the Word of God. When we treat one another with impartiality, something happens in the glory of God. God's glory is radiated as we treat one another that way, as opposed to the glory of God being hampered by treating people based on the way they appear to us. So that was the first 13 verses of chapter 2. This morning, we're going to finish the chapter. And um, the main point of what James is communicating, we, we have one point this morning. Everyone says, woohoo, one point. One point this morning, and it's this. True faith will result in good works. That's the main point right there. That's the only point for our time together this morning. True faith, genuine, true faith will result, not might result or could result, no. True faith will result in good works. That's what I believe is the whole purpose of this section of James. So we're going to read this section of James now. Let's hear it together with ears of faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers 
and sent them out by another way. Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Holy Father, you have preserved this word for us that we might hear it today and by hearing it today be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. Lord, help us as we look into your word now and study it because in studying it and in seeing it, we will rise in faith. You will grant to us a greater ability to see and respond to you as we look into your word. So help us now, Lord, for these next minutes that we have together. Help us to hear your word. We pray this together, and I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith without works is dead. James says, what good is it, dear friends, if we have faith but not works? We're just going to take time this morning to walk through this verse by verse to get an understanding of what he's saying so that we can agree together that the main point of this passage is true faith will result in good works. Look with me again at verse 14. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What good is it if you claim to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I love him, but that the evidence of your life makes no such claim? Where you don't love him or you don't read his word or you don't obey what he's commanded to do. What good is that, James asks And then he goes on to illustrate in verses 15 through 17. Let me read it again. Here's the illustration of what good is it. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So let's imagine this, let's make it personal to us. If, if someone is coming to us and, and we just give them lip service, like, oh, you're in need, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're in need. Well, you know, I, I'm so sorry that you're hungry. Um, I'm so sorry that you're cold. Be warmed and filled as you back away from them. What good is that? What good is faith that doesn't find expression in works? in the response that God has to people when he sees needs. See, true faith will evidence itself in genuine works that are born out of that faith. Remember, James' overall point for this entire letter is being doers of the word, not just hearers only. Why why is that? Well, because true faith responds like God responds. And God doesn't give us lip service. He responds by action. And true faith is faith that takes action. Look at verse 17, because James says this, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, what does he call that faith? He calls it dead, right? You see it right there. Verse 17. So in a sense, this whole two paragraphs He's comparing true faith, or what we might call living faith, active faith, with dead faith. 
faith that has no action. It has, in fact, no life. James continues his case in verse 18. He imagines uh, an objection, and so hypothetically he's saying, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, true faith, this is part of what James is driving at. True faith, faith that is alive, is inseparable from good works. You cannot divorce, if you have a true faith, you cannot divorce faith, uh, excuse me, works from who you are. Because if faith is vibrant and percolating and alive in your heart, then what will flow out of your heart are good works because God is alive in your heart. That's what faith is. Faith is, is God at work giving you life through that faith. And so it's impossible to discover someone who has true faith and has no works. Because if there are no evidences of that faith, well then that calls the faith into question in the first place. So this objection, you, show, you have faith and I have works. What he's saying is someone might say, hey, you know, some of you are more intellectual or more theological. Hey, that's great. You have that faith. You know, I'm over here on this side. I'm more of a practical person. I'm just going to help people. You know, I, you have faith. I have works. We're all good. He said, no, it's, it's not possible to separate things out like that. There is no such thing as an alive faith that does not show itself, show itself forward in good works. Either faith is alive and active and will show itself, or it is, in fact, dead. There's no evidence for faith. James takes his illustration now even further. Look at verse 19. He says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The, uh, the word there for shudder is, you know, when a cat gets scared or gets excited and the, the hairs on the back of the cat, you know, goes up. That's what that word shudder means. That's what the demons do because they, they actually testify, as we can see three times in the Gospels, when Jesus was ministering to people. Remember the time, perhaps, when he went to the demoniac in, uh, among the, the graveyard and this This man was inhabited by demons and he was cutting himself and in chains and and Jesus approached and the demons called him out right away. Jesus, son of God, what do you want with us? James is saying there is a way to believe right things about who Jesus is and yet still not have true faith. There is a kind of uh, a recognition of the truth as the demons do. They recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and yet they did not have faith. And at times in, in the church, I think especially in America, we can say, hey, you, do, do you believe in God? Oh, I believe in God. We're good. God and, he, God and me, we're, we're in good shape. Well, saying God that you believe in God doesn't make you a believer because the demons themselves say that. Do you see his point? He's, he's going for the jugular here. He say, listen, if you, if you, you know, declare the Shema, what is the Shema? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, people in this day, they would wake up and, and the true Israelite Jews would, 
would wake up and, and they would announce the Shema every morning, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, what does he say here? He's, he's, he's going after people who are, who are lazy and people, in fact, who, who have dead faith. And he said, look, look even, even the demons agree that God is united. Even the demons believe and shudder. Works are the practical expression of the faith that we profess. Even the demons can profess to know about God, but they do not know God personally. This is striking, friends. I don't want to just cruise through this. How is it possible that that, that people could study the Bible as their profession and yet not know God? It's true, though. How is it that, that people who could grow up in the church and who could perhaps recite the, the Apostles' Creed and say, yeah, but not be a person of faith? It's true. And James is calling the church to be rustled up out of its slumber and saying, your faith will be evidenced by deeds by good works, not as a means of your salvation, but as the evidence of your salvation. He's stirring us up. He's like, okay, you believe God is one? Great. Even the demons do that, and they are frightened by God. So you might ask the question next, oh, well, how can we be sure of our faith. Well, we can be sure of our faith, praise the Lord, this morning when there's evidence that flows from faith. And that's what verses 21 through 25 are all about. That this is, this is the evidence of the faith. Now, let me pause enough here to say, um, it may appear to some of us, perhaps those who are paying attention particularly to theology, and I hope that's all of us, in fact, it, it may appear at first reading that James is opposing the clear biblical teaching of Scripture about justification by faith alone. It might appear that way to you and to us as we read it. Uh, For we know the words of the Apostle Paul, don't we? They're going to be on the screen once again. He says it very clearly this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we hear that, and we agree with that. I trust you agree with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We hear it saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And yet we hear James here in chapter 2, um, saying in verse 24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, I need to ask the question to be faithful to the text. Are Paul and James in conflict? Is the word of God, this is really important, is the word of God conflicting with itself? We know that the word of God is 66 books, written over 1,500 years, written by, uh, I believe it's 39 different authors, is the Word of God contradicting itself here? Um, it, it is not. Let me, let me walk you through the argumentation so that we can see it in this text for 
ourselves. This is important because we need to have confidence in our understanding of justification. And by the way, I appreciate, I just want to mention, I appreciate the help of the ESV study Bible. A number of you have the ESV study Bible. I just commend it to you. Uh, it's very helpful resource. It helped me this week in my preparation. Uh, in fact, the study notes wisely put forward uh, this thought, and it was, it was helpful to me. James and Paul are speaking to two very different audiences in mind when they use the word justification. Let's talk about Paul for a moment. For the Apostle Paul, when he uses the word uh, justification or to justify, he intends it to mean being declared righteous by God through faith. So he's talking like when he's writing to the dear Roman church or to the Galatian church or to the Ephesians church. He's seeking to make the point that we bring nothing to the table related to our salvation. Um, the temptations of certain people was to say, hey, you know, I, I'm pretty good at the law. I'm, I'm obeying the law pretty well. Isn't that, doesn't that give me some credit before God? And Paul repeatedly is saying, no. Your justification is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no amount of works that you can accumulate so that you can become righteous before God. So that's Paul's audience, largely speaking. James here, however, is speaking to a different audience. He's, he's speaking and using the term justification in a different way. He's using it not as a legal term, but rather as a term that proves or evidences someone's faith. It, it justifies their claim of faith. That's how James means it. So let me now illustrate it from the text at hand. Look at verse 21 with me, if you would. Let's read it. What does it say? Was not Abraham our father justified by works... When he offered up his son, Isaac, on the altar. So what is the event that James is referring to here? He's referring to the event in, recorded for us in Genesis chapter 22. You may be familiar with it. Um, when God called Abraham, uh, the father of the faith, Abraham, to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, on the altar. It was a test of immense enormity. I cannot imagine such a test. And as we know, as it took deep and abiding faith in the truth and goodness of God, Abraham responded and took those steps uh, to sacrifice his son. And yet we know the story that God miraculously provided a lamb so that uh, Isaac was not needed. So what James is doing, he's referencing that story. And in verse 21, James is saying that Abraham's work of faithfully offering Isaac is evidence of the faith that existed in Abraham prior to that. And we know that faith existed in Abraham prior to Genesis chapter 22 because in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's what James says here in verse 23. So why, why again is this important? Because when we read verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son uh, Isaac on the altar? That almost sounds like James is, is saying, yeah, it was 
like Abraham, he was really saved by his works. He's not saying that. He's saying Abraham's faith was evidenced or it was justifiable on the basis of the faith that God had granted to him prior to that event of sacrificing his son. Do you see that? It's really important that we see it from the text. Because Abraham believed God, and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was not justified before God on the basis of any works. How, how do we know that that's true from the counsel of the word of God? How do we know that that's true? Well, because if any person, we, we talk about ourselves as a gospel-loving people, right? That we love what Jesus has done on the cross for us. If any person that's ever been born in the history of the world, if any person thinks that they can justify themselves before God on the basis of the accumulation of good works, do you know what that person is doing? That person is offending the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we could be justified if we could be declared righteous before God on the accumulation of our own good works, then Christ didn't need to come and be crucified. And we know that Christ needed to come to be crucified. So, so there's no possible way that James could intone here that, well, you know, okay, maybe most of us are you know, justified by Christ, but Abraham, he was so good, he was justified by his works. He's not saying that. The works that Abraham did was the evidence of the faith that existed beforehand. Now, when you read that passage through, it makes uh, a different, it takes on a different sense. Let me read it once again. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed or that word also means matured. That faith was matured by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Let me illustrate it from a different passage. If you recall when we went through the, the, the book of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. In chapter 16, we read the story of Paul and Silas singing in prison. And as they're singing, a great rumbling occurred and the walls started coming down and they were made free. Their bonds were burst and they were made free. And the jailer, who was in charge of them, under penalty of death himself, when he saw that they were free, he was about to harm himself. And they said, Stop! And then what, what did he ask them? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember this? And what did Paul and Silas do? Well, actually, you know, you need to get out your pen and pencil. Because in order for you to be saved, you got to do a bunch of good works, hoping that your good works out, outbalance your bad works. And then you got to get to the temple every day to compete. you got to do all... No, it was very simple. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved. Simple. Plain. Clear. It's not on works. So that no one would boast. The Apostle Paul agrees in Romans 3 when he says this, For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And in my study notes, I I have a ton of verses that I could read for you and just encourage you with the fact that justification is by faith alone and not by any work we can possibly do. We, we sing this truth, we rejoice in this truth um, this way. See if you remember this song. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Do you see it? No righteousness of our own stands before God. Our righteousness is given to us through Jesus Christ. And this is clear as James continues on. Now, someone may ask, well, then where do works play? Where where do they play into this whole equation? Well, I'm so glad you asked. James is saying, ultimately, that our works authenticate the faith that God has put into our hearts. They authenticate our faith. Again, if, if, if we say we love God, let me, let me give an example. If we say we love our neighbor, like your physical neighbor who lives across the street from you, if we say, I love my neighbor, but yet when they come to you and ask for help and you're like, oh, thanks for coming, you know, like everything's going to be great as you back away from them, There's a question there. Do you really love them? This is what James is saying. If we love God, if our heart is His, if we say we believe in Jesus Christ and we've received love from God and yet don't love other people with the love that God has given to us, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And so yes, works play a part in the evidencing forth our salvation. James does not want us to have some kind of false confession and some kind of false hope because even the demons can confess things about God. Our confession will be followed. True faith is inseparably linked to good works. Now, there, there is this section here at the end with Rahab. Rahab is such an interesting illustration. Um, So let's read it and talk about it for a moment, and then I'm going to draw some conclusions together for us. So look with me at verse 25. He says this, And in the same way, the same way as Abraham was justified in that sense by his works, they, they showed themselves forward, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers, and sent them out by another way. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Okay, now, James, what are you doing to us here? You know, we don't have a lot of information about Rahab. We, we don't, but we do. I, in fact, I encourage you, maybe today, sometime this week, reread the story in Joshua 2 through 6 of the heroic attempts uh, and efforts that, that uh, Rahab made to secure the spies. What, what's the story? Again, Israel is looking to bust into the, to the town of Jericho and, uh, and spies were sent to, to see what's going on there. 
and these spies were detected by the king. And so the king said, hey, there's spies in our town. Let's get them. And so there was this great hunt for the spies. Rahab, somehow, we don't have the details, but Rahab somehow believed God. And her testimony in chapter 2, we won't take the time to read it right now, but in her testimony, it says that she believed in God. And part of the evidence of her belief in God is that she took at great risk to herself and to her whole family, at great risk, she took these spies into her house and she hid them on her roof. And so when the searches were going on, they were okay. And then in the night, when the the guards had gone out to search in the wilderness, she let them out through her window. Now her window actually was part of the wall of Jericho. Her, Her house was within the wall. So she actually lived in the wall of Jericho. And so when she let them out, she said, hey, I'll let you out, but you got to remember me and remember my family. And the spies said, yes, we will. The Lord will remember what you've done here for us today. So that's, that's the story that James is referencing here. Now, why, why is he using Rahab as an example? I mean, she is not a Jewish woman. She is in a, a, a profession of ill repute. Now, I'm, I'm believing that when Rahab came to know the Lord, her new and recent faith turned her away from her profession of prostitution. But, but here's what we know. She believed God and she acted in accord with her belief. And James, I think, is doing something glorious here. Think about the two examples that he used. He wanted to stir up the church to say, hey, You can't have dead faith and claim that your faith is alive and active. And in fact, dead faith faith is, is squashed when we believe in God. And let me show it to you in two ways. Abraham, the father of the faith. Everyone knew who Abraham was. I mean, Rahab is a woman of ill repute. She's not necessarily an example to follow in her life prior coming to Christ. Do you see what he's doing? In my mind, he's kind of bookending those who are, those who are you know, righteous and those who, who have a past that might say, God could never use me. God could, could never work in my life. You have no idea what I've done in my past. And I, I believe James this morning is reaching to every person, those perhaps who have grown up in the church And those who have not grown up in the church. Those who have claimed faith for a long time. And those who have not claimed faith at all. And he's illustrating by saying no one is too far from the reach of the Lord. No one is out of the reach of God. Regardless of what your past holds. Whether your past looks like a man of great faith. Or whether you're someone who's experienced The wickedness of the world, no one is outside of the reach of God's grace. And no one is unable to be used by God as their works justify and evidence forth their faith. I mean, he could have chosen a whole bunch of other examples to illustrate this. He chose the faith of Abraham... And then he chose the faith 
of a Canaanite woman of ill repute who came to God and believed God and walked this out. So, I want to ask you this morning, do you know forgiveness in your heart like Rahab knew forgiveness in her heart? Do you know it this morning? Have you been justified by faith in Jesus Christ like Abraham, like Rahab? Sometimes we think that, oh, God could never love me. I've done this. I've done that. I've been, I've been unrighteous. Well, haven't we all? And I believe just that reminder this morning from James as he used these examples that no one is too far from the Lord to come to Him. And no one is so far gone that you can't be used by God for His glory as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now let me try to bring it home here in the last few minutes that we have together. Let me return, let me do so by returning to the faith of Abraham here for a moment. Can you imagine yourself, again, uh, you're, you've already been called by God and he said, hey, I want you to go into a land that you, you're not going to know. So Abraham, from the very get-go, he, he demonstrated faith. Yep, okay, Lord, you want me to go into a land I don't know? All right, I'm going. And then when you're about as good as dead, and that's quoting scripture, by the way, when you're about as good as dead, God decides to give you a son that's going to carry on the lineage. And he's like, uh, okay, you know, I'm, I may be a little old for parenting, but okay, uh, I'm going to receive this, this gift of this child that you're going to give. And then you love that child and you nurture this child and that child Isaac is, is dear to you. And you give everything for him. And then God comes to you and says, Hey, you know, Isaac, um, I want you to offer him back to me. Can you imagine the faith that was called forth from Abraham? What did it take for Abraham to say yes to God? What did it take for Abraham to take those steps and to build that altar and to prepare for the sacrifice. It took faith that was willing to go the distance, dear friends. It took faith that wasn't an easy believism. Yeah, I believe in God. No, it took faith that said, Lord, this this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this. But I believe you and I trust you and I'm going to walk with you. And though this isn't directly the main point of this passage, I just wanted to take a moment to bring it out to us, to call us again. James is calling us to real faith, to active faith, to put our faith into practice. And let me stir us by way of reminding us of the faith of Abraham. That that he was all in for the Lord. That he trusted the Lord even when things were going in a way that, that didn't make sense to him. Faith that believes and faith that trusts and faith that follows and obeys. I, I know that some of you right now are in positions where, where the Lord is calling you to be faithful. He's calling you to follow Him and, and trust Him in the circumstances in which you find yourself. And, and you hear the Word of God and it's counsel to you and, and you really want to do it. But, but sometimes you just don't. And I, I want to call us to faith this morning. 
I believe the Lord would be honored that we would respond together as people of faith that say, Lord, I may not always understand. Lord, I may not always comprehend. But this morning, Lord, you were all in for me. Jesus didn't go halfway to Calvary. He went all the way and he died on the cross all the way so that we could be saved. And and so when I look at Christ, I see he was all in for me. So Lord, I'm going to be all in for you today. My faith, I want it to demonstrate the truthfulness that I am all in for you, Lord. Faith that believes. Faith that trusts. Faith that follows the voice of the Lord. Dear friend, if, if you're here this morning and, and you're just saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm caught. I'm in between a, a rock and a hard place. And I, I'm, I'm struggling to obey God. Can I just say, let's be reminded of, of the faith of Abraham. Let's be reminded of the example of Jesus Christ who, who obeyed his father at great cost to himself. That we might take up our cross dear church, that we might take up our cross and follow Him in obedience because we believe Him, because we trust Him, because He is our home. Because we know and we've tasted and we've seen that He is good. Before we sing a song, I I want to just share with you one other thought. Remember in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved by faith. It's not of works, lest no one should boast. Do you know what the very next verse says? Let me read it to you. It says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Do you see it there? For good works. That's the place of good works. He's created us. He's saved us. He's given us life uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's created us for good works. Which he what? Which he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. So any of the good works that God is calling you to, any of the situations in which you got to trust God and, and do what is, according to Scripture, the right thing, you know what? He's prepared that for you. He's called you to faith. He's given it to you. And he's prepared that for you, those good works that we might evidence forth the faith that we so gladly profess. This is God's will for us, that we walk in good works, not as a means of our justification, but as the evidence of what he has done. May the Lord help us. I know it's easy. I I find it particularly easy to say these things. It's another thing to do them. But may the Lord help us, dear friends, to put our faith into action, to be people of our word, that when we say that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we would be faithful to actually do that. That God would help us to glorify him in all of these things. Jesus, I want to conclude with this. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, dear friends, hear this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When faith operating in our hearts evidences itself in good works, the Father in heaven is glorified. I want God to be glorified in my life today. I believe you do too. This is what we're called to. Evidencing faith through good works that bring glory to God. Would you pray with me now?
Lord, thank You for the promise that You hold forward in Your Word that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we entrust ourselves into the finished work of Christ on the cross, that we will be saved, that our, our sins are forgiven when we trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, and I thank You for this assembly this morning. And I believe that many in this room know and have trusted in Jesus Christ. But there may be some, even one, who is yet to trust You. Who is yet to fully believe in You. Who would move beyond just a mere confession of, like the demons and say, yeah, this is God's Son. Who would move beyond that and say, I believe Jesus died for me. That I have life and forgiveness of sin as I believe in Jesus Christ. And so we say, Lord, this morning, move in our hearts. Where there is unbelief, give us belief, Lord. We don't want to go to an, an eternity in hell, having been raised in the church, or maybe we can recite things that are true. Lord, we don't want that. And so turn our hearts to faith today, Lord. Grant to us eternal life by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And then, Lord, for the rest of us who do believe in Jesus Christ and who do evidence some good works, Lord, may we be stirred by the example of Abraham and Rahab who, who put their faith on the line and who trusted in their Lord as they took steps and evidenced forth their faith. God, none of us are going to do it perfectly. We will stumble and we will fall. But we pray that for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, you would help us to put our faith into action, Lord. Please help us. Whether it be helping our neighbor across the street, or loving someone by sharing with them the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to put our faith into action. And now, Lord, as we think about what ultimately motivates us, as we think about the grace that you have shown to us, Lord, we praise you that you have been merciful. We praise you that Jesus, in fact, paid it all that we might rejoice in Him today and be secure in our faith in Him. And so, Lord, we give You this praise as we conclude in song now. Be glorified, Lord, not just in our words, but in our lives, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone together said, Amen.